guys what's happening i know it's been a while since we've done this podcast guys welcome to episode seven of all about the arcades uh i am going to be bringing back this podcast it's i know it's been a while and the last episode was with gamer green phil marzullo it's actually a part one we're going to be doing a part two with him sometime in the near future hopefully we get it uh sooner rather than later i know it's been almost two years since the last episode guys but today i have a very very special guest this is totally awesome something i've been looking forward to doing ever since i started the podcast and i'm going to be interviewing somebody from an actual arcade game maker today guys his name is Tabor carlton and he's from lai games guys and he's actually at their where they started down in australia so Tabor, welcome to the show man thanks joe thanks for having me i'm glad to be here that's awesome. I, I, I've been looking forward to something like this for a very long time, Tabor, so I thank you very much for your time today. So just one of the things that we just want to start off with, Tabor, uh, just so people maybe get to know who you are or anything, you know, tell us a little bit about you, you know, and uh, a little bit about your role at LAI, how long you've been there, a little bit of background about yourself. Let's hear a little bit about you first. Sure. Um, so as you can probably hear from my accent, I'm not Australian, uh, but I've been in Australia for about 20 years, close to 20 years now, on and off. I am the marketing director for LAI Games, and a little bit of background about me, I guess. I started, um, well, I grew, I grew up in Colorado. That's where I'm originally from. And I met an incredible Australian woman in about 1999, and we got married and moved to Australia, and I've been here for about that period of time and funny enough one of her really close friends was who ended up and is to this day one of my really great friends and, and my current boss got me involved with some some work for uh what is a sister company of lai games um, who makes debit card readers so all the um the card readers that go on the games in fecs I started doing some work for them. I did a magazine ad, and my, my background is in graphic design and media development. So I started doing a little bit of work for them, and that grew into another project and another project. And after about 10 years of doing work for these guys, and, and I was running my own business at the time as a freelance designer and web developer and marketer, uh, I took a full-time role with them and worked across multiple companies underneath their uh, their parent company and eventually kind of worked my way over to the games side of the business and have been working for LEI Games for close to four years, a little over four years now, actually, uh, full-time. But That's I've awesome. been involved with them, yeah, for, for about, gosh, 12, 13 years, somewhere thereabouts. Okay. So, yeah. Just so yeah, I, I guess want, that's that's. I want to back you up real quick for a second. You were mentioning about the game readers. Are you talking about like the things where we swipe the cards and get to play the games, or are you talking about something else? Yeah, that's exactly what I'm talking about. So we we refer to them in the industry as debit card readers, you know, or swipe swipe readers. People give them all kinds of different names, but um, yeah, a, a sister company makes the um, 
don't know if I should name drop here or not, but it's the uh, the embed system, the kind of the, the coolest debit card readers. <laughs> yeah, they're pretty much the most popular one. I mean, most people know if you talk about a, a game card reader at the arcade, they're going to say, oh, you mean the embed system. I mean, that's yeah. that's pretty much the most widely used one, obviously, because most people, even non-arcade people who may have heard that name once or twice, know that name. That's right, yeah. And and I, you know, pretty proud of the fact to be associated with a company who who does create a really awesome product. Um, yeah, they're they're pretty cool. But I I did my majority of work for them actually over the course of ten years, and little little bits and pieces here and there for LAI Games. But that's been my dedicated role for the last four years or so is working for uh, for LAI. Interesting. Now, just uh, one little thing about you, too. I mean, now you're saying your background is graphic design and everything. What kind of got you into, like, the arcades and stuff? Have, have you always been an arcade aficionado, or, like, did you go maybe, like, if you saw a claw machine at a grocery store? I know when I was a kid, it, you know, whatever it was a claw machine, or, it, you know, back then it was coin-operated actual arcade games, not, you know, not ticket games. Like, anywhere I went, I would play, like, Pit Fighter or WrestleMania or whatever they were called back then. I would I would always play those or the Turtles game or Simpsons. You know, those were the the big arcade games back then. Uh, you know, have you always been into the arcade stuff or just kind of you know did your interest in it kind of peak with the getting into that development of stuff? Well, it's, yeah, it's kind of funny. The you know I was I was born in the late seventies, and so I kind of my childhood was in the the early mid eighties. And that, in my mind, and I think, you know, thinking back, that's kind of the golden era of the, the traditional arcade. And I, I never really went to many, to be honest, when I was around that age. Um, I did really get into, like, you know, home console systems like Atari. I grew up with Atari. And then that turned into, like, the Nintendo Entertainment System. Yep. And I just, I've got a very nostalgic love for the 80s arcade scene and especially the the aesthetic that goes with that there's just a in my mind there's a real kind of mystical cool association with that but i didn't personally spend a ton of time in those arcades and of course you're right you know those were all coin operated at that time and i had an older brother who probably if if anything did introduced me to that scene i guess you know and remember you know pumping quarters into into the machines to keep the game going and you know <laughs> keep your life very going. true yeah but i i love the 8-bit 8-bit graphic style games like super mario brothers and donkey kong and i i don't know i've still to this day got a very nostalgic love for those games and obviously this the arcade scene of today has changed dramatically but I got into it more, I guess just, it's funny, I feel really lucky that my path in life, as I, just to take a step back, you know, my background in graphic design, that really started when I moved to Australia, and I always had a love for photography and design and stuff, but I had been working in, in kitchens and restaurants and things like that leading up to that point, and then when we moved to Australia, I thought, and I, and I actually started to have kids at that stage, and I thought I don't want to continue to work in the hospitality industry because it just, especially here in Australia, I found myself working a lot of weekends and split shifts, and I wanted to spend more time with my family, so I started looking at other opportunities, and 
art and design was always something that I'd loved. So I got into graphic design and from that just, you know, I've, I've had a, a few lucky accidents, if that's what you want to call them about you know, <laughs> meeting the right people who have gotten me into different things. And I found myself in this position, you know, if you'd asked me 20 years ago, what are you going to be doing in 20 years? I don't think I could have found myself in this position, but I feel very lucky because it's a fantastic industry. You know, I absolutely love the arcade scene. I spend a lot of time in arcades now and my kids absolutely love what I do because, you know, when we've got a new game and we've got it out on a test location or something and they get to play it first and give me their feedback you know, we'll, we'll go into a, a location and I'll give them game cards and be like, you know, go go play. Here's 20 bucks on each card. Go play games. But you have to play these games. And, oh, you know, well, they, you, they, so they, they got limitations. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, they get some free reign. But, the, you know, they uh, they they love the fact that, um, you know, they have access to, to arcades. And so, yeah, it's it's been a, an evolution for me, I guess, with my involvement in the arcade scene. But I just, uh, I'm in love with it, you know, it's so much fun. Gotcha. And I mean, that's, we'll get into that a little bit, uh, in the future here of the podcast, you know, a little bit down the road, uh, talking about types of games and things like that. Uh, what we want to do right now is we just kind of want to take a step backwards in time and maybe a little bit of history about LAI and, you know, how it came to be and, you know, how it came to be part of the arcade industry. Was it always part of the arcade industry or was it something else? And uh, for those of you that are out there listening right now, LAI actually stands for Leisure and Allied Industries. Um, and it was started, if I remember correctly, sometime, I think, in the 60s. But I'm not 100% sure. I, I don't remember what I read. I do apologize for that. But uh, maybe just give us a little history about LAI, how it came into, you know, today uh, up to like, you know, a few years ago, we'll say. Okay. Um, you know, you're you're right. I don't know the exact year, actually, that it, that it did start. I probably, I should know that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I could go back to the archives and, and get an exact number. But uh, it started off... This is kind of interesting. So way, way back in the day, I think probably, you know, pinball machines were some of the first public games, you know, when you think of the arcade scene in general, uh, it all really kind of started with pinball machines, but pinball machines were actually pretty much everywhere across the world were illegal. They, they were considered gambling machines until the flippers were introduced you know, uh, the original pinball machines didn't have flippers on them, the, the buttons and paddles. Really? You had I, to, I didn't know that. Yeah. So this is where the term tilt comes from, is that you actually physically had to tilt the machine. It was almost this, like, slanted machine. And they still have these games today that are almost like board game size, you know, pieces of equipment where you have to guide a ball rolling through a little maze and avoid, you know, the pitfalls, the holes in there by tilting the, the stage. And that's kind of the way that original pinball machines worked. And they were very difficult and, you know, considered more games of chance than games of skill. Mm. And obviously that's changed over time, you know, with, with the invention of the, the flipper and they became more skill based. The, uh, LAI games, the, the founder of LAI games, kind of a visionary guy who, you know, I'll see if I can keep this 
concise and reined in here without getting too <laughs> off track, um, would uh, he would import and export pinball machines uh, where you know where available, and I think probably might have had a, a little bit of a hand. I know with a couple of other people getting some legislation passed to get them seen as you know legitimate games and uh, allow a little bit more free trade i guess across countries and continents and things and opening up the borders if you will to you know getting games distributed and so it was actually that that is how lai games started was more of a distributor for your, for pinball machines than a game manufacturer huh and then over time you know the the thinking evolved to say well hey why don't we make our own games and you know, a team was built to start coming up with original concepts and, you know, with the distribution base that was already there, uh, the ability to get those into locations and uh, other countries, you know, things continued to grow and develop. And uh, this is something that may, people may not know. And, and there's been, I think there's been some speculation and possibly some misinformation out there about the relationship that LAI Games has had with a national chain of FECs in Australia and Southeast Asia called Time Zone. So Time Zone's a, a really big chain of FECs. Um, can't remember the number of locations that they're up to today, but it's it's in the hundreds of locations. They're a really big chain. And they were started originally by, by the same man and the same family who was building LAI games. Oh, okay. And so they're... Yeah, so there was this close association for a while. That doesn't exist today, and I think that's where some of the speculation is and the misinformation exists. We're totally separate companies. LAI Games is not time zone and vice versa, but we had a, a close relationship way back in the day. It really expanded the you know what we now know today as FECs and kind of the change from the traditional arcade, which took a, a dip for a little while, during the home console gaming revolution Absolutely. when Xbox came out, PlayStation, right? And um, really, I, I think, played a significant role in what we know as arcades and FECs today. LAI Games' involvement with all that. So it, it's a really rich history. And you know, I'm proud to be part of what is such a rich history for you know, significance to the industry. Um, but you know that's it's it's a great story, I guess. At the end of the day, it's it's a really interesting way that it's all developed. Yeah, and that's very interesting, as you say. Um, I get with the whole thing we we're saying with the separation too, because you know we have these, uh, you know, you have people out there that own two or three businesses, and some people are like, well, because they have the same owner, they're associated. And it's like, no, that's not always the case. There's you know there's separation there. Um, I mean, look at Elon Musk, you know, you got PayPal, SpaceX, Tesla, you know, he owns all those and they're all separated. So, I mean, you know, you don't, you don't equate PayPal with Tesla and you don't equate yeah, you know, exactly. PayPal with SpaceX or anything. And I mean, he's the one who created those. So that's where that whole separation comes from. And just a quick little point too, for anyone that's listening, um, Tabor was saying about FECs, FECs are known as, or, you know, it's just an acronym for family entertainment centers, kind of like the places that uh, arcade Matt and myself film at, uh, like fun for all Dave and Buster's, you know, those kind of places. Uh, it's considered a family entertainment center because the entire family can be there and have fun at the same time. Uh, 
there's stuff for everyone. Um, now, some of them have been, you know, titled Barcades, which is like a bar arcade, kind of like a Dave and Buster's again, where they have the, you know, a place for the adults, and then they have the stuff for the kids. Although, the arcade games anymore now, everybody is getting into, like, you know, it doesn't matter what age you are, almost everybody is playing arcade games and it's really cool to see that that you know i have individuals that are in their 60s and 70s playing right alongside kids that are in their you know single digits for age and having a blast enjoying it and i think the arcade industry has built upon that because you know back in the 80s when you said when it was the golden age of arcades you know the the arcade games that you could only find on the in the arcades you couldn't find them on home consoles because home consoles either didn't exist or they were just starting and then when they started porting them to home consoles not everybody had them so you still had to go to the arcades to play the games yeah that's right yeah so there was i think that the the two industries really piggybacked off each other for a little while there when um you know something i i know through my own research, a lot of the development of the home, home console gaming, I guess, this is the start of that. But anyways, you know, like, the stuff in the 80s, you know, I mean, yeah, it was geared towards kids. You know, arcades were kids and teenagers. Usually no one older than that were at the arcades hanging out. The ones that had the a little bit older individuals, and even then it was only in their 20s and maybe 30s, if you were lucky, were the ones that had, like, pull halls or... You know, something like that where they had darts, billiards, anything like that. It was the little bit older crowd, and they may have had a few arcade games here and there sparse throughout the location. But, you know, the, the arcades as we know it, you know, where it was just the pinball machines, the actual, you know, video game arcades were geared more towards kids than anything else. And, you know, trust me, as a kid in the 80s, I absolutely um, spent my share of allowances there. But... Over the years, you know, with the invention of the ticket games, the redemption, I mean, don't get me wrong, Tilt was around back then. There was, there was, you know, at least it was, I don't know if it was as national as it is now, because I know Tilt Studios is a thing that is a national arcade chain, kind of like Main Event, Dave and Buster's, all of them. Um, I know in my local mall there was a Tilt. I don't know if it was part of a national chain or anything, but I mean, you could redeem stuff, but I mean, your biggest prizes were like, you know, super soakers back then or some, you know, or remote controlled car or something like that. Like that was your biggest prizes. And, you know, you would redeem six tickets for a Tootsie Roll, you know? <laughs> yeah, totally. Well, that's funny. The The redemption concept and the ticket concept, it was pretty revolutionary because obviously that stuff didn't exist from – uh, you know, traditional arcades where you've got the joystick and two button set up mm-hmm. on something like Super Mario Brothers. But as these facilities evolved and some of the business models changed and, you know, you just have to continue to reinvent certain things to keep them moving forward. The concept of redemption was revolutionary and it really, you know, you can see how, how impactful it is today. And you're right. What's so funny is early on some of these prizes that were available, you know, like a mustache comb or, <laughs> you know, uh, the, the fake glasses, you know, the glasses with a fake nose and mustache and these really cheesy toys or, or a Tootsie roll or a piece of candy. Um, you know, they've, they've evolved into these kind of full blown retail centers. If you think of them like that with 
cool prizes and like really unique items. And Dave and Buster's is a great example of where they've got some really unique, cool prizes that you can't get anywhere else, you know, and you can go and use your tickets to buy that type of stuff. And, uh, it's, it changed everything. Oh, absolutely. But, and, and I think part of that yeah. too, is was like, I was getting at it's where it bridged a gap because that redemption changed from, Hey, we're just going to focus on kids to, Hey, you know what? Maybe we see people that are saving their tickets for what reason? Why are they saving their tickets? And then, Hey, let's turn in these big bunches of tickets and maybe I can get like a boom box, like a CD player back then, or, uh, you know, even like a small portable TV or a radio or something like that. And these, these places probably picked up on that and said, Hey, why don't we start gearing some of the prizes for the adults and then we can kind of turn it into hey they can come here drink and have fun you know like that's where the barcade thing came from and then it kind of yeah. opened up to everybody the whole family not just hey let's try to focus on the adults because those are the ones who grew up in the 80s with the arcades you know they're, they've instead of focusing on just that age group that was growing up at that time focusing on everybody and trying to bring everybody into it. And, and just, it's funny, like I said, how that, that gap got bridged to arcades just being for kids to arcades being for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. And, and just as a little bit of kind of a history lesson, um, you know, you may or may not know some of this, but the listeners might find this interesting. Uh, the, the guy who started, what was effectively, I guess now it's Chuck E. Cheese. This guy, uh, Nolan Bushnell, who's a pretty revolutionary figure in the arcade scene. Mm-hmm. He's actually, he invented the first commercial game that was available for arcades. It's called Computer Space. Computer Space, yeah. And that big yellow yeah, so Totally. It's crazy look. It looked pretty futuristic at the time, I'm sure, but, uh, and it still kind of does actually. It's a funky cabinet, but, he had a, a, a vision for a concept that I think he referred to as pizza time entertainment or something. And so you can see how that relates to Chuck E. Cheese. And it is a, a real family oriented place that, you know, you've got food and beverage and arcade games, fantastic concept. And it really is the, I guess the foundation of what we know as the modern FEC. And thanks for, you know, you've pointed out earlier, I th- probably will throw some terms out that people may not be familiar with because they're kind of industry terms, FEC, you know, being one of them. Mm -hmm. But the funny thing is, yeah, the funny thing is, so back to Nolan Bushnell, he's actually the creator, uh, founder of Atari, you know, the first home console game system. I was going to say, wasn't he a big part of the, the video game revolution back then? Yeah, totally. Well, and what I find fascinating about him is that he started this concept of out of home entertainment. That's how we refer to, to FECs, you know, to differentiate console based gaming and things that you play in home. You know, he started this out of home concept, but was also a pivotal character in the in home gaming concept. And so these two things that almost, you know, they weren't in competition with with each other or opposition with each other. But I, I really find it fascinating that he he kind of spawned these two different pathways for gaming as we know it, you know, arcade gaming. And, um, you know, I don't know. I, I actually had an idea for 
trying to tell a, a documentary style story about this this concept because I think it's pretty fascinating. But that's what led to back to our talk about redemption. You know, this Chuck E. Cheese uh, pizza time entertainment concept. They introduced the uh, idea of you know winning tickets from games to go and cash them in for prizes, and you know obviously that's taken off globally now. And you know by offering those bigger prizes behind the counter, you really incentivize players to be like, I'm going to hang on to my tickets, and I'm going to come back and I'm going to save them up and get that big prize rather than cashing them in each time you play a game for for small stuff like candy or whatever. Mm-hmm. So that's that's just a little bit of little bit of the background of that stuff that I find fascinating. Oh, absolutely, and and that's very interesting. Like I said, it's 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 crazy how there's the names you recognize, like Nolan Bushnell. I know I've heard that name a million times, but I mean, if you would have just asked me outside of here, like, hey, who's Nolan Bushnell? I'd have been like, I know the name, but I don't know what for. And yeah. you know, it's just one of those crazy things. Um, but we kind of got a little bit off topic, so we're going to bring it back around here. We're going to bring it back to LAI here. You know, obviously that's the reason why we're having this uh, this podcast here, and we're talking to each other, Tabor. Um, so just a little bit about LAI here. Um, you know, you guys have had a very wide variety of games over the years. Um, you know, for redemption, for video games, you know, anything like that. Um, you know, it's just, it's crazy. You, you have, you've had your ticket games, you've had your, we'll call them skill games, but you know, we all know the little backstory of quote unquote skill games. Uh, yeah. at least as, as some of them are, are known as games of chance because, you know, arcades have to make a profit too. And I mean, you know, we understand that just, you know, just be honest with us. That's all. Um, yeah, but, like there's well, it's funny. that's that's part of the that's part of the evolution of the the game concept, I think. And let's talk about that for a second, because, you know, it is it's almost like the elephant in the room. You know, people understand the way that some of those games work. And I'm talking about games like, you know, early claw machines and um, some quick play games. And the way that those games are set up kind of in, in defense of, of the industry, I guess, you know, we built games as an industry that gave operators control to a degree of how they were able to manage their, I guess, input and you know output in terms of revenue. Mm-hmm. Because you can't can't put a game, it can't, it's not a viable business to put a game on location, and it just loses money for you, right? So there has to be a balance, and you want to reward players. So there were kind of commonplace to be able to put some controls into game settings to allow operators to to control them to a degree. And unfortunately, I think it became easy for, you know, I'm by no means all operators across the board. I don't want to label anybody here, but, you know, I think you can see some of the trends that have taken place over time where operators thought, oh, I, I can make more revenue by cranking up the settings on this game or making it more difficult to win or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's where the you know the the rigged game concept has really kind of evolved from, I guess. Oh, absolutely. And, and yeah. Yeah, back then, I mean, the claw machines, you know, that was one of the really big first redemption type games that were out there, you know, to win a, a little stuffed animal from this, you know, thing that grabs them and brings them over to the prize chute. You know, and if you're good enough, you can win a couple uh, or maybe more than one. Back then, they didn't have the technology they have today 
when I, I've discussed this in, in previous podcasts with uh, both Arcade Matt, that was Matt3756 back then, and just on my own in the one episode where I described the types of games. And the thing is, back then, they had the fixed strength clause. You know, I mean, there was only so much you could do. Yeah, you can set it weaker, but you couldn't set it to like it is today where, hey, it's got to take in $10 before, oh, I'm just going to give you the prize at that point, like as long as you grab it right. And, I mean, at that point, it becomes yeah. 100% skill because it's, it's its payout rate. And I've gone over that in previous podcasts. Uh, you know, people know what, what payout rates are, things like that, uh, those crazy, crazy terms that are out there that – you know, and people think that games are rigged and I mean, yes and no. Um, yes, there, there, there are certain ones that no matter what you do until you hit your payout, they're not going to give you, you can't win period. You know, it's just, that's the truth of the, of the matter. I mean, we can't, we can't beat around the bush at all. It's, it's, that's, that's how it is. Uh, and then there's other games that it's absolutely skill based and it all depends on how you, you know, how you pick up that plush and how much that plush weighs and how much voltage is going to that claw to, to pick it up and yeah. things like that. So, I mean, there, there are times where it is a hundred percent skill and everyone just thinks, you know, it's a lot easier to just group everything together into one, you know, ah, I lost, so I, it's, it's rigging me, you know? And I don't think that's yeah. How it is. Well, like most things, most things in life, you know, it's not black and white, right? And and you can't throw all things into one bucket or the other, um, you know. But, but that is the way that kind of games evolved to where they are today. And I think, like you said, people understand how how they're set up. But I guess to move on from that idea a little bit too is we we really have a strong focus at LEI with building true games of skill. And you've seen, like, if you look through our, our recent games, um, Let's Bounce is a great example of a game that it's it's easy, easy concept. You know, you can improve over time, and those are the types of games that we look to develop. And they're truly, that's, that's fun, you know, and that's what we're trying to create is a great experience for people. So... The first time you step up to a game like, let's use Let's Bounce as an example, you know, you might just chuck all the ping pong balls down, down the, the play field and all the tiles light up. Oh, absolutely. And you get, yeah, you get what's happening, but then you go, oh, hang on a second. If I take my time and I'm aiming my shot and you get to, you know, figure out the mechanics of, of what works and what doesn't and you can actually get better every time you play it. That's a true game of skill, and there's no rigged component to it at all, right? Absolutely. So those, and, I mean, because you, you have the control over it. There's no – and yeah. I'm kind of showing a video of it right now. Uh, I'm going to show this in the different parts of the podcast. I'm actually showing a video of it in the background right now of, cool. of from LAI's website, actually, showing the how-to-play video, which is really cool. Um but as you're describing it, it's kind of showing as well. And it, like you said, it's it's 100% your control because you have the, you know, it's not a stop the light kind of thing where you can, ah, oh, crap, you didn't, you didn't hit it at the right time or anything like that. You know, did you hit the panel or did you not, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and that's, that's what, you know, I, I think you may have heard the term and your listeners may have heard the term, uh, the fair play pledge. Yeah, that's something that... There is there are industry associations that kind of they deal with legislation and this is it's a regulated industry like many other industries you know they've got governing bodies and um, groups that help 
you know, business development and, and industry development. And uh, this governing body came out with something called the Fair Play Pledge, where industry operators, uh, industry manufacturers, sorry, you know, across the board, all had to come to the table and, and say, look, we're going to build games that have to meet a certain set of guidelines. And it's these are, when I say regulated, you know, it they don't want to be a police force. So this is kind of an honor system to a degree, but everybody really did get on board with it. And again, just speaking for LAI Games, it is a foundational kind of mission for the way that we build our games of mm-hmm. building, you know, great experiences for players that are that are skill based they're skill based experiences and uh, you know we think that those games are going to stand the test of time uh versus you know quote unquote rigged games right so that's something that i think changed across the industry as a whole but just for lai games in general that is a core foundation of how and why we build games you know and I mean, it, it's definitely interesting. You know, you're just starting to talk about the games and everything, like Let's Bounce and all that. And I have a couple up on the screen here uh, of your current games, you know, from the website. And, you know, one of them is Hyper Pitch. I mean, you control what happens in that game. You know, Pearl Fishery, it's a, like basically a coin pusher, but with, you know, ping pong balls. And, and I guess what most of the YouTubers are calling right now Dragon Balls in them. Uh, even though they're supposed to yeah, represent actually, big I pearls. Mean, yeah, I gotta, I've gotta throw this out there for sure. Nobody, stop calling them Dragon Balls. <laughs> we, we changed. We, they're called Big Pearls. That's the official name that we've, we've given them. <laughs> uh, because, yeah, Dragon Balls. That's obviously a totally different co- concept and IP. So, um, yeah, it's, it's funny Absolutely. how that's evolved. But some people started to use that term. I, I, we gotta get the word out there gotta call them big pearls everybody <laughs> yeah i could understand why um i'm sure there's some japanese copyright and stuff out there that we don't want to infringe <laughs> yeah. on but again you know people were talking about it and everything you just want to kind of want to quell it while you can i mean it's still early enough on and hopefully we can do that so guys they're called big pearls not the other thing that we've been referring to them as. That's right. Not the other word that we can't talk about. <laughs> <laughs> well, we could talk about it on here, technically, but... Yeah, well, that's right, yeah. But it's, it's funny, like... some of those things get, get out of your control, and there are things that any, you know, any game concept, and as things evolve and develop, that's one of those things that hopefully we can get back into control, but it, it, things can take a life of their own sometimes. Absolutely, and I mean, and you know, and that's one of those uh, skill-based games. And then, um, you know, one of the things I've I've always wanted to ask, and I mean, I don't know how well you can answer on it. I don't know how much you are in the tech part of it and know how the games work and things like that. Um, one of the questions I've always wanted to ask is for Stacker. My understanding of it, at least that I have tried to determine and figure out through reverse engineering of how it works, is that there is a win window. There is always a win window. It's just really, really small. And then as the losses, you know, as the game accumulates more losses, trying for like the major prize, that win window gets a little bit bigger every time until it comes to a point where you can actually hit it because otherwise it wouldn't be considered a game of skill. It would be considered a game of chance as if you, you would be to hit it. Am I kind of hitting in the right area there with that? I would say your your thinking is probably along the right lines, but you're right. I don't have the the technical background to speak upon how the the internal guts of the game work. I guess, you know, my my role, 
uh, in the company is to to get the products out there, you know, and get let get get the word out about products, inform you know our customers so much. They're not the players; our customers are the businesses who get these games into their facilities. So that's my role. And uh, unfortunately, uh, to answer your question, I can't speak about the technical facets of that type of stuff. No, I, I fully understand. I didn't think so, but. I just kind of—I've always wanted asking. to ask that question, and since you guys are the ones who make the game, it's one of those things that I really, really wanted to ask. <laughs> yeah, totally. Well, I will say I, what I can say about Stacker, and this is probably not not the answer you're looking for, but um, Stacker was really—that was the, our iconic game. We had something of like twenty over twenty thousand units of that game, wow. you know, sold across the world. Which is that's crazy. Uh, that's an incredible yeah. twenty thousand guys. Just think of that twenty thousand stackers out there. You know, line them up side to side, and they probably go across the United States or something. I don't know, <laughs> but that's yeah, incredible. but you can see them in every yeah, every part of the world, everywhere you go, strip malls, arcades. They're everywhere, and and I try to take a photo of them every time I come across one and post it on Instagram or something, just because they're, you know. Yeah, they're they're everywhere, and and once you see them and you kind of get that in your mind, you'll start seeing them everywhere. But that was a game that really launched us into the to the big leagues, I guess, in terms of game manufacturers. Oh. And from there, we you know we built upon success after success. But that was that was a really significant game for us. Absolutely, that game is everywhere. I mean, you're you're not lying. I mean, I go to Walmart and it's there. I go to you know. Uh, even sometimes like a little grocery store or something, they'll have one, the vendor, you know, a, a local vendor will have one there. I mean, they're just, they are everywhere and it's incredible. And in fact, one of the places that Matt and I play all the time, Aces Breakaway and Play, they have one in every location <laughs> just because yeah. they're such a popular game and it's incredible. Well, we do have too. This is just a side note. Um, while everybody's stuck at home and um, isolated, we've got, a stacker it's called stacker infinity it's an app i think it's only available on the app store unfortunately because when the game was produced i don't think the google play store actually existed this is quite a number of years ago but you can go and download stacker infinity app and it's it's made by lai games so there i think there's quite a number of knockoffs out there that are not you know the official game but anybody who loves stacker go jump on download the stacker infinity app and you can have some fun while you're stuck at home i I hate to be the bearer of bad news but i am trying to find it and i don't see it on the app store (laughs) Uh, it is there i know i might be able to we'll we'll post a link um we'll put it up on put a link up on instagram at some stage i I was trying to find like search for lai games and stacker infinity and I see a Stacker Infinity by the company Casual. Oh, wait, there it is, LAI Games. So I'm just going to hold it up to the camera here here real quick while you guys, uh, I'll show you here. Um, So there it is, guys, on the Apple devices. Um, It's called Stacker Infinity by LAI Games. You can see it's got the blue blocks right there. And the first picture is of something with a rainbow. And it looks like you stack till infinity, apparently. (laughs) Totally. Yeah, you do. And it's it's got a bit of a different aesthetic than the traditional stacker with some different backgrounds and some futuristic stuff. But it's pretty cool because you can build up achievements. And yeah, it's it's a variation on the traditional stacker, but a pretty cool game. 
and that's really cool. Um, and, uh, speaking of variations on Stacker, there was a game that I used to play all the time at the local FEC near me, the one called Fun For All, and it was called Drop Zone. And it was I always called it a reverse stacker because the blocks got smaller, but you had to catch them. And it was one of those ones that I loved to play, and I always felt like I could win it every time until I slowed down the footage. <laughs> and then it was like, well, it's like stacker for real. It has that that mode or not mode, but that built in microsecond window. <laughs> yep, that microsecond window to to hit that win. So it was just one of those things that was a lot of fun to play, and I, I do miss it. It was one of the ones I absolutely loved playing because there was nowhere else around that had it. It was the only place I knew that had it, and it was just unique, you know, because you never saw that anywhere else. Yeah. Well, what's what's funny talking about stacker still we produced so many variations of that game and i think it was because you know it was obviously one of our biggest hits at that time but there was i think we might have had like seven or eight different variations of it mm-hmm. so i think you still see mega stacker is is still an extremely popular like the prize vending version of it so you get this massive cabinet the red red blocks you know i'm sure people will recognize that Okay. You can actually win the prizes directly out of the machine. But we also had like mini stacker, stacker Wall Street, which I don't think had too long of a, of a shelf life. Uh-huh. Uh, gosh, I, I can't remember. We had so many different variations of a stacker, stacker light, which didn't, it was basically the prize vending version of it without the prize lockers. So it was just, you could win tickets, but it was like a massive cabinet. So, and, like, what was the difference yeah. between, like, the Stacker Wall Street and, like, the Mega Stacker? Because it looks – I'm looking at the brochure right now. It looks pretty much exactly the same. Yeah. To be honest, Stacker Wall Street was a bit before my time. Like, the whole, actually, Stacker game itself was before I got involved. I think the very first magazine ad I ever did, I'm talking about my early days involvement, I did do a magazine ad for Stacker, and I created – uh, a cover for a magazine for one of the major industry publications where I think we were celebrating 25 years of LAI games or something. I can't remember. No, it was, it was like 50 years of LAI games at that stage. And we put stacker on the cover because that was, you know, an iconic representation of LAI games. And so this, some of these things are a little bit before my time, but I just remember seeing photos and footage or, you know, pieces of information about these things so i don't know really what stacker wall street did i don't know the the appeal for that one but i just know that there was i guess trying to ride the wave of popularity creating tons of different you know versions of it and models of it to try to ride that wave but (laughs) absolutely short-lived and i'm showing i'm showing the different versions here while you're talking about them the one i see is a stacker mini right now and that one was interesting because it had four prize arms at the bottom, and I believe, if I remember correctly, three of them were minor all the time, and one of them could be set to either minor or major prize, and then the two on the side up from it were major prizes all the time. So if I remember correctly, that one had that ability to do that. Yeah, and that's it. There was, there's so many variations of it. and I, There's still a bunch of them out there in the market. You'll see kind of a stacker... What looks like the you know the blue 
cabinet, I guess, the blue block cabinet. That's our traditional stacker format. But there's also a bigger non-major prize version. You've got all these mini miniature physical prizes that you can win inside there in like the red cabinet and red block model and then mm-hmm. multiple variations of that with the bigger cabinets. So you'll still see them everywhere out there. But that was that was a trend actually for us that we did we actually tried that with a few other games and created a bunch of different variations of them and it just became too much to manage over time and we changed our strategy a bit and and thought when we produce a game we're going to stop trying to produce like five versions of it to fit (laughs) all these different market segments and just focus on one game and make it make it a great game so strategies changed over time you know i don't know if other companies did that but that was that's part of our history i guess and you'll see that reflected in in arcades still oh yeah and and one of the games too that i want to move on to here is a very interesting one i've actually um played it a couple times um at the one local by me zone 28 and i'm sure we gotta touch on that too with stacker a little bit in a second but one of the bigger games right now for you guys and it's very popular because it's always in use and that would be the virtual rabbits um the actual I like the fact that it comes with the things to wear over your face when you put the goggles on too to kind of protect your face from like any germs or anything. So that is yeah. that is something that's really cool that comes with it. But the the fact that there's just this awesome virtual reality, and I mean it's true virtual reality because anywhere that you look with those on, you're seeing that world. So it's been built completely around the player. You can look completely behind you and see behind you in the world. Yeah, no, for sure. That's, it was a really, it is a still a very significant game for us. And I have to give a a big shout out to the R and D team. They, they really created something revolutionary here because up until that point, even in home console systems, you know, VR really struggled a bit because at home you have to have a certain amount of equipment and enough space to kind of operate stuff safely. And so I I think it's still maybe it's probably shifting to start to be more popular, but up until that point, you know, it was three years ago that we released that game. VR was a very um, cumbersome format, but the R and D team really saw the, the turning of the tide early. And there were a lot of skeptics across the industry that didn't think that it was possible that we could create an unattended VR product, a VR game. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we pursued it anyway to massive success. You know, it's, it ranked number one across the world for, and it's still in many locations is still the number one game for, for many locations. And it is a fantastic product. It's exciting. You know, like you said, you, it's, it's a different experience every time you look around and you can, especially with this crazy world of uh, Ubisoft's Rabbids, there's always something different to check out. And, you know, you're fully immersed. The The motion platform made by um, a company called D-Box, who makes the, uh, the best motion base in the I, world. I did, a review really on, throws you in. I did a review on them on my second channel. My buddy took me to a movie theater with the D-Box seats. And awesome. we actually we actually yeah. watched that um, – Oh, what was the name of that that movie? It was that first person like action movie that came out a few years ago, something Henry or something like that. 
it was crazy. But just having that with the 3D, we did the 3D with the D-Box, and it was just incredible. I didn't realize those that that game, the actual seats were, you know, the, the actual platform that moves was made by D-Box. So that's something I'm learning that's new. That's, that's really impressive because they really yeah. do know what they're doing. I mean, that, that they, they immerse you into it with those movements. Totally. Oh, and it is, you know, that's, that's what I think it is. It's a key factor in it. You know, you've got obviously visual stimulation in a VR experience. You've got some audi- audible auditory stimulation and um, we the rabbits format right now doesn't have headphones that kind of attach to it you know just trying to make it a really easy um, approachable format for people to you can put the mask on you don't have to worry about a whole bunch of other equipment Mm -hmm. but we've got speakers that sit behind the the rider and you know that that helps kind of enhance the environment the motion base you know you really get thrown into it it's a it's an immersive experience and You've seen, I think you'll you'll see more and more the the format. You know, they they say imitation is the greatest form of flattery, and I think you'll you'll see the format start to become wider spread across the industry. And we take that as a compliment, but you know, we we are very proud of the fact that we I think we set the ball in motion for a whole new set of opportunities for VR in arcades. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, I was skeptical of it at first. I was like, "Oh man, VR, really? Who's gonna who's gonna get in that?" I was one of those people. I'll, I'll tell you, it was one of those. You know, do I really feel like paying that much for that? And after I did it, it was really, really fun. And I would I absolutely do it again and again and again, just because there, there. You know, first off, there's so many different worlds you can experience with it, and second off, it's you know. You just want to you want to do it because it, it makes you feel like you're out of you know where you're at now and in this world you know and just imagine what you can do with almost anything. Yeah, well, that's the point, using, right? You want to you want to have an experience that you can't get anywhere else, and you want to get disconnected from reality and you know in a, in a good fun way. And so that you know, we think we we hit the mark with that, and I'm glad that you are a fan of it. You know, it's great to hear that type of feedback. Because we don't get to hear from players, you know, we hear from the the location owners that mm-hmm. yeah, this game is doing really well for us, but we don't get to hear the player feedback, and that's rewarding for us to be able to get that. You know, one of the best things about that game is, you know, all another kind of industry term we call it the attract mode. You probably understand what that is instinctively. <laughs> Any game that you walk up to, you know, it's it's got whatever, even if it doesn't have a screen on it, it's got that mode that tries to draw players to the game. And generally on most video games, that's, you know, you can do that on a screen and it's like the play now message and shows some footage of the, the stage. But what's so fun about Rabbids is the players are, are the attract mode for that. Because if you watch somebody riding it and seeing how much fun they're having, you know, they face, unlike traditional games too, where you're looking at somebody's back, you know, with the rabbits format, they're facing the audience and getting to see the reactions. It, it's, it's the attract mode for the game and it's just as much fun to watch as it is to play in for a lot of people, you know, that's oh, part of the fun, I think. Absolutely. And, and like I said, I was a skeptic of it at first, you know, I was one of those people, oh, you know, VR, it's never going to go anywhere. It's not going to take off. And I mean, look at me now, I would sit there and, I'm You're gonna a believer. Do that, you know, I'm going to do that. It's fun. 
it's, it's one of those things that just it's really incredibly enjoyable and that's one of the things that i look for when i go to an arcade is that fun enjoyable experience am i having a good time and that game absolutely absolutely 150 percent delivers on that so i mean that's definitely something that <clears throat> and i'm glad that i'm able to give you a little bit of the feedback for that so that's that's awesome. I mean, yeah, that's really that, that is that is awesome. Um, we've got tons of videos on our YouTube channel too that you know we can't replicate the experience, but we've cut some video footage and, and try to show players what it's like. And I think our YouTube channel is geared probably half and half between different audiences. But uh, you know, I'd recommend for sure go check out our channel and, and see what some of the rabbits stuff the stage looks like if you haven't seen it before. Go check it out. Absolutely. And uh, is that just LAI Games, I guess, on YouTube? Yeah. Yeah. You should be able to find it pretty easy. Okay. So one of the things I want to touch on real quick, too, before we move on is talking about Zone 28 and Stacker before. I don't know if you've seen the recent videos from Arcade Matt. I don't know if I've done any. I think I may have done it on my Instagram. I may have posted. The Arcade Manager at Zone 28 in Pittsburgh has actually taken the Stacker and reverse engineered it because the one that he had had the real little like LED circles instead of the full squares for the spots, and it was extremely hard for players to play. He reverse engineered an entire LED board, like board of LEDs, multicolored LEDs, and reprogrammed the game to play on this really spectacular looking board, and it's very colorful, it's very interesting, you know, most people aren't going to see. This is it. a stacker stacker machine, is it? This is a stacker machine. Yes. Okay. No, I have I, not seen that. I will see if definitely I can find check it, it out. Quick. You guys can see this is Matt's video. This is what the re-engineered stacker looks like, guys. It's it's a bunch of little LEDs that, that come together to form like pixels, and you can see this. It's it's no stacker you've ever seen before in your life. Um, so that's just a little preview of, if you guys want to see more of this, go check out Arcade Matt. I think I have a little bit on my Instagram. Definitely go, uh, go check that out over there, but definitely it's something well, that I'm keen to check that out. I have not, not ever heard of anybody doing anything like that. So that's interesting. It was actually uploaded. Uh, there's a nice video of it today. Matt uploaded a video today. Well, I guess for you yesterday, cause it is Australia, April 2nd, <laughs> Mm-hmm. That, yep. <laughs> um, and I know we're dating the podcast. Oh my God. You know, everyone gets crazy when you date stuff that you record, but you know, Matt uploaded his video and it shows that stacker just so incredibly well done. And I mean, the guy's name is Greg and he is a genius. He took an old wheel of fortune machine, the one that actually spins when you hit the arrow, he took the wheel out, he redid all the lights, he re he, you know, he redid the entire game, cut stuff out of, you know, laser cut stuff with a pieces, you know, pieces of plastic, got a, a voice individual to do voices on Fiverr, and basically built his own arcade game out of the shell of the Wheel of Fortune, and it's called Ticket Zone. Interesting. That's super cool. I'll, I'll check all that stuff out. <laughs> but yeah, shout out to Greg <laughs> at Zone Twenty Eight. Like he is something else. Like you know, he's he's definitely a, a a just genius. There's no other way to say it. He really is a genius, and he's in the wrong business. He needs to be working for like LAI or one of the other game makers out there. Because <laughs> maybe maybe we'll poach him. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I could you know, I could see you guys doing that definitely. But it's one of the things I want to move on to, too, because you guys are a big part of this as well in, in the world. Um, 
you know, the arcade expos or trade shows, things like IAPA, you know, International Association of Amusement Parks and Attractions. Almost everyone knows that when you say IAPA. I mean, they don't know what it stands for, but they know what IAPA is. You know, there's NAS, the Northwest Amusement Showcase. There's AES, Amusement Expo International. There's all these arcade trade shows that focus on the new games, the game developers, things like that. Hey guys, this is what we're going to be bringing to the market, or this is what we're thinking about bringing to market. Let's have some of your feedback. You know, is there something we can change, something we can do? And you guys, that's kind of where you get that interaction with the players, besides the owners of the arcades as well, who are out there checking it out, going, hey, I might buy this game in the future. You know, can you talk a little bit about those those trade shows, things like that that you maybe you've been to, maybe some awesome experiences, crazy experiences, anything like that? Sure. Yeah, they uh, they are crazy experiences to be sure. They're just they're really intense. As someone who exhibits, it's really really exhausting. It's tons of fun, but it's like a you know it's one of those events or experiences that's such an adrenaline rush that after it's all over you can take count of it and go man what what a crazy event that was but you know you're right so we are you know we're showcasing our stuff there for companies to be able to check out and look at potentially getting into their venues so just to take a step back even further talking about the number of trade show opportunities that there are every year there there are tons of them and IAPA is a really big organization and actually holds I want to say seven or eight. Uh, not, that's not an exact number, but they hold a bunch of shows all over the world every year in different parts of the, the year. Oh, okay. And, you know, the, the IAPA show, people just refer to it as IAPA, you know, the big one every year in November, that is, you know, the, the worldwide major show. So that's the one everybody just knows as IAPA. But there are tons of other shows as well. There's organizations called IAPI. It's like a, the Indian Association for, I can't remember exactly which that acronym stands for, but, you know, EAS in London, or sorry, EAG in London, EAS is a different, a different show. <laughs> uh, but yeah, there's, there's tons and tons of shows all year, but IAPA is, is kind of the, the crown jewel of, of shows, if you will. And yeah, so we, we have an opportunity, I guess traditionally, not just us, but most companies have brought you know, their, their next year's big game to that show so that they can show it off because they know that they'll get the biggest number of eyeballs on it. And that's where we released Rabbids many years ago. But it is a great opportunity, like you mentioned, too, to, to start connecting with players to a degree. And I've seen the trend over the last probably five years that more and more influencers, you know, people like yourself and, um, you know, Arcade Matt is somebody who we've gotten to know, know a little bit over the last few years. <laughs> he he loves to come and film at our booth and we always we welcome those guys and uh try to try to show them a good time and you know show them around to the new games, give them free reign to to shoot stuff on the booth cuz we know that you know players want to see all this stuff. It's kind of like a first sneak peek of things. And uh, I personally, I love to be able to get FaceTime with those guys, too, and, and talk to them and get their thoughts about things rather than just watching some video footage of, of them and, you know, get direct interaction. So they are, are full on events and they're really, really exciting, though, and something for us that we look forward to really all year is is that IAPA event, you know, and oh, I bet. 
That's crazy. I would love to make it down there one year just because it is in the States and it's actually just south of me. It's in Florida. I mean, I say just south, but I mean, you know, when you're talking globally, it technically is just south of Pittsburgh. (laughs) Um, (laughs) That's right. We would love to see you there. I'd love to meet face to face and and show you around. You know, I'd love to see you there. that, That would be incredible. I would love to come down there one day. I know it's crazy to get in. And everything else, get one of those creator badges, right? You know, <laughs> get the all access creator yeah, badges. Right. But I mean, so yeah, I mean, those trade shows, I mean, I've never been to one, but I've seen enough videos from like Matt and other people who have, you know, filmed it there. And it's definitely, there's a lot. There's a lot going on. You see all the new games and things like that. And, Maybe give some feedback. Say, hey, you know, I like this about this game. I didn't like this about this game. Maybe this can change. You know, kind of give a little bit of feedback. And, you know, sometimes game makers will take that and say, hey, you know, they have a point. You know, it could be could be a little bit easier of a game if we did this. Or somebody might enjoy it more if they did this. And, I mean, one of the things that I always drives me crazy, and I always want to go to these shows and be like, all right, where's the games for the tall guys? So I don't have to bend over and keep playing because my back hurts. <laughs> so it's all, that's one of my issues because I'm such a tall guy. I'm six foot six. So some of these oh, games wow. are made a lot smaller where I have to bend down to just reach a button. And I get it because there's kids and everything else. But could we make games for both? <laughs> I'll take note here. Maybe we'll go back into what we were talking about earlier with all these game variations. We'll have the, the tall version. <laughs> <laughs> Well, let me give a shout out to a few, a few of, you know, I know that there's some of your friends. Um, last year at IAPA, we saw Matt, Arcade Matt there, Lissy, Drew, who, uh, used to be the Midway Maniac. Yep. Those guys all came through. Plush Time wins. Yep. Well, they uh, live down there, so that, I mean, they don't videos. count. They live Yeah, right that's there. right. <laughs> they've, we've actually, we love those guys. Yeah, they've, they are, they've been coming to IAPA for quite a while because it's close. It's right in their backyard. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we, we love interacting with, with those guys face to face, all you guys. So yeah, please, anybody who's listening, who has the opportunity to come down there, we'd we'd love to see you. That's awesome. Now, speaking of YouTubers, that was kind of the next point that I was going to get into here. A a lot of people now there's, there's, you know, not as many as there's, there's way many more than there used to be back even four years ago, especially focusing on arcades and, you know, arcade venues, things like that, playing the games, this and that. And we do know that there's a couple handful out there that, you know, kind of have, we'll not say a negative connotation towards the arcades, but just that negative influence, if you will, that, hey, I'm going to show you this hack on this game, or I'm going to show you this cheating at this game. First off, we just want to say there's really no way to cheat at arcade games, usually. If a game's misset, different story. <laughs> but yeah. there's really almost no way to cheat at games. And there's one particular individual who I'm not going to name, but he has a video out there. And he's like, you know, if you touch this claw machine with the this lock port and this lock port and do this, it'll put it in service mode and you'll win every time. There's no such way to do that, and and you know, uh, luckily Matt has connections that he's been able to show you the insides of the games and things like that, and say, look, this is the only way you can put it into service mode, and if it's in service mode, you can't play it anyway, because it's in maintenance mode, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, that's that's funny, and it's funny. I actually had a conversation with Matt about this 
you know, we've got a lot of respect for for the influencers. He's referring to to you guys, I'm not sure which how you refer to yourself in the this landscape, but um, you know, people who play games, yeah. Well, and that's what it is, you know. People who play games for entertainment value, and you, you're creating a, a good audience out of that, and not creating what uh, you know are basically clickbait videos. You know, yeah, getting a game into service mode, you're right. There's no way to do that other than the legitimate way to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, do this and you'll win limitless tickets. You know, those are just clickbait things that I think your audience, I believe your audience sees straight through. And we've got a lot of respect for you guys that are out there, you know, doing the right thing, I guess, bringing the right light to the arcade industry and the way that the industry should operate. You know, this is a fun industry. And people out there are trying to, you know, look at ways to scam the system. That's always going to happen. But I, I think hopefully it's it's few and far between that that stuff is really happening. And you guys are creating a great face for the industry by doing the right thing. Oh, absolutely. And, I mean, that's one of the things that, you know, Matt has always been about. Matt has always been about being legit. And yes, he gets excited. He gets crazy whenever he wins stuff. And that's totally fine. I mean, some people get that way when they win stuff at arcade games. Me personally, you know, my videos, I don't do that. I, you know, if I know I'm going to, here's the thing. I've been playing arcades for so long. I know when I can hit a jackpot or something like that. And so if I'm going to hit it, it's one of those, I'm not going to really get excited about it. The only things I really, truly get excited about are those games like Keymaster, Winner's Cube, that kind of stuff where you never know if you're really going to win. And then when you win that big prize and it's like, holy crap, <laughs> I just won like a PlayStation 4 or something. I mean, when you see that happen for me, that is legit excitement, legit shockness. Like just holy yeah. crap, I just won a Nintendo Switch or something, you know, like for $2. Like it's real because <laughs> you can't fake that. I mean, there's, there's just no way. I mean, but you know, things like ticket jackpots, I don't get excited. Like, Oh, they the lights flash, whatever. Yeah. But I mean, I know I'm going to hit it. I could, you know, I mean, yeah, it's cool that I hit it. Great. You know, my nieces love it. Cause I get, you know, they get the tickets to spend, but you know, uncle Joe's always the best, but, <laughs> but uh, you know, for, for myself, I've been doing it for so long that it just, it's just another thing that I know that I can do at the arcade. So it doesn't really phase me, but it's one of those things like, I just, I just want to like entertain. That's why I do the legit videos. And I think the problem is that people, I mean, there's, there's a, there's a certain group of people who want to see that legitness, but there's a certain group of people who just want to believe everything else. And I think that's why, those people who do, as you said, clickbait and all that other stuff, get the views, get the subscribers, get everything, because it's just, what are they going to do next? You know, it's kind of like the old Howard Stern cliche, if you will. You know, I want to see what he's going to do next, so I keep listening, even though I hate him. I'm going to keep watching, because what's going to happen next? And yeah, it's just it's one of those things that, as you said, the people that are doing the right thing kind of get overshadowed by that. And we're fewer and fewer of those of us who do the right thing and don't click bait and don't do this. Of course, our numbers show that because we suffer because, you know, yeah, you're doing the right thing, but no one cares. So as long as I entertain one person, I'm going to keep doing it. And that's what I've always said. And I have a core group of fans who are 
some of the best. They've been around since like I first started uploading almost five years ago when Matt first told me, hey, show off your arcade skills, man. <laughs> I said, nobody's yeah. going to watch this big lunk play arcade games. Little I know, you know, 13,000 subscribers later. And I, you know what? I'm fine with that. I don't need the numbers. I've never worried about the numbers. I've always worried about entertaining i want to put out that product to entertain which is why i'm getting into different things like this podcast and i have a new series called how to where i just explain the game you know kind of like reading the manual if you will except in a video version and i'll explain how the game works so somebody can go up there and say oh i know how this game works instead of going up there and going well i pushed a button what happens now you know yeah that's fantastic i i love that idea because there are you know there's such a wide variety of games out there that you know doesn't necessarily make sense when you walk up to a game like what do i do here so you know that from an operator sorry from a manufacturer's perspective like that's fantastic we we love people to be educated and and i think it's you know you created an environment where people have the opportunity to have more fun and you know you're creating the entertainment factor and it helps helps us out as manufacturers so i think that's a fantastic idea that's awesome. I mean, but one of the things like, and I noticed that one of the most common games that people have issues with, and it's not one of yours, it's, I forget who makes it. I, I think it could be uh, um, Betson. I'm not 100% sure, but it's Spin and Win. It's the one with the big light that goes around in a circle. And you, Oh, yeah, yeah. People, so Betson, just to clarify, Betson's a distributor. They are not a game manufacturer. Oh, okay. See, I, yeah. I, I don't know all of them, so I do apologize. Matt yeah. knows all of them. <laughs> he knows Benchmark Ice and all these, <laughs> and I'm like, okay. <laughs> but, yeah. uh, you know, that on that game, you have to pull the handle on the side to start it, and then there's a big button in the middle. The problem is it doesn't say push this button or anything like that. So a lot of people sit there, and they stare at it, and they see the circle. You know, the light's going around the circle, and they're like, well, what do I do now? And I see someone try to pull that handle on the side again, that slot machine handle, and nothing happens, and they're like, well, this game's stupid, and they walk away. I mean, granted, there's instructions right on the game, but most people aren't going to read it. They just see the flashy lights and go, oh, I'm going to play. So that's that was that whole core of that video series that I was trying to do of the how-to, just so somebody can watch it, you know, somebody who may not be familiar with the arcade games and say, oh, okay, so I've seen this game on his channel. He said it does this, it does this. If I hit that, you know, I get a jackpot. If I hit that, then I hit, like, a bonus in the game or something like that. And that's just one of the things that I try to educate, entertain. It's basically like the manual, but in video form, like I said. So, but one of those things... That's awesome. You know, and one of those things too I want to touch on too, you know, you were saying about the individuals that come into the the booths and stuff, film everything like that. That for YouTube, you know, is there anyone who's like stands out as like heroes of YouTube, if you will? Uh, hey, they showcase our games all the time; they're really cool. Or you know, they're all <laughs> they're talking about our games again. Yeah, let's 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 promote them or something. Yeah, well, I I love. Uh seeing our games in any of, of your guys' videos. And I think, you know, I, I don't think there's anybody out there who specifically focuses on our games. I would love it if they did. But, <laughs> you know, it's it's kind of, I guess it's random. You know, there's so many manufacturers and there's so many different games out there that I guess I just love seeing our games, you know, showcased at all. IAP is a great opportunity for that because when we get people to the booth or, you know, we don't even have to get them to the booth. It's nice that they want to come and, and just participate. You know, we have a direct opportunity, uh, I guess, 
for us as manufacturers that we know our games are getting showcased as LAI games under that context. But as, as industry heroes go, I guess, you know, I think it's goes without saying everybody, the way everybody feels about arcade Matt, he's just a, a superhuman being like that guy is, is always entertaining. Seems like one of the, not just seems like, you know, is one of the nicest guys that I think I've ever met, you know, but so many other people too. Plush Times wins. We are major fans and friends with those guys. I haven't had a lot of exposure to a, a lot of the other guys other than, you know, conversations like this with you. Mm-hmm. We've done some community spotlights on our blog where we've interviewed some influencers and, you know, we want to make it our goal to try to get to know the, the player community a little bit better. And so that's some of the reason behind those initiatives. But again, I would love to see uh, more people meet more people and, you know, any opportunity at these shows to connect. Oh, another shout out Dragon Claw Games. Those guys are <laughs> yes. incredible. Uh, some of the coolest, nicest people that I've only chatted with them by email and, and whatnot. Haven't had an opportunity, unfortunately, to meet them in person, but just fantastic human beings. So, yeah, we, I think the industry, there's so many awesome people out there that, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't pit one against the other, I guess. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I would love, you know, I guess going back to what I was saying earlier, I just get a thrill from any time any of our games are showcased and knowing that there are potentially millions of eyeballs on our games, that's really, really rewarding. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, we, we love to just play games. So, I mean, you know, we're always jumping around the arcade. Hey, let's play this one now. Hey, let's play this one now. So you never know what you're going to do. But I'll tell you what. I'll create another channel just for you guys, and we'll call it the LAI Gamer. And then I'll create another one, the Sweet. Benchmark Gamer. And then everything. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, you don't have to do that. Just do LAI Games. Just LAI. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, so speaking of in the future and stuff, so like LAI down the road here, I mean, obviously we do want it to be around for – a very long time. We love what's coming out of LAI. What's what's more of the focus in the future here? I mean, you may be able to answer this, you may not. Is there like maybe a more on redemption style games, like you know, more prize redemption, ticket redemption, or like just the regular video arcade type, like kind of like Virtual Rabbits? Sure. Well, so we've we've got a. a you know, a pipeline of products in development that obviously I, I can't speak to in depth. But we always try to get a good mix of games. You know, redemption games are the most popular category across the board for every manufacturer. Operators love redemption games because they they feed into the the redemption center, you know, being able to win tickets. Mm-hmm. It's there's a a better business proposition, I guess. And it's, it's great for players. Players love getting rewarded with, with something, you know, tickets generally or, or prizes from a prize vending machine or something. So that's always part of our mix is a redemption focus, but we do have some straight up video games. One of them that we just released last year called outnumbered is just a straight up video game, but uh, I can, talk more about it in a minute but the um it's got a very kind of paradigm shifting app component to it a companion app that works with the game so it's a different angle trying to do something different than 
the the traditional reward through a ticket in a redemption environment. Okay. You know, but but we always try to have a good mix of games so that we're not just a one trick pony. You know. Oh, absolutely, and I'm just kind of showing the uh, the video for Outnumbered here from your actual YouTube channel right now. It's actually embedded into the LAI website, so. I'm just kind of showing that here a little bit in the background. So, is it like a physical? I mean, it looks it looks like a. I'm just this is my first time seeing it, so I'm kind of gauging my. Okay. Yeah. And it's so interesting. Well, I'm, really, <laughs> I'm just, yeah, it's I'm a, just watching it's the video physical, as it's going here. Okay. Yeah, it's a it's a physical big cabinet with a, a gun that has some um, recoil. You know, that you, a target shooting video game. And it's got an app component that after you finish a stage, you can earn some uh, in-game rewards after completing the level. And you can use those rewards to go and build and upgrade a weapon inside the companion app. And then next time you play, you can log in with the app and pull from your existing inventory of weapons that you've built and play the game again with your new weapon. Oh. And what's so cool about it is it really does feel different when you when you upgrade or create new weapons and go back into the game. You actually get the sensation that you're playing with with a different weapon component. And that's through like a variety of mechanisms where you've got like different bullet trails or shatter effects for the targets. You know, different weapons or just sorry, different ammunition will make the target shatter in different ways uh, like, you know. You might have some electric, like electric bullet or a plasma bullet or different things. And it's, it's really cool. I guess those are the rewards. Rather than winning tickets, you're getting rewarded in the game with components that you can then go and build stuff that's, you know, strictly your own and reuse it in the game next time you play. So it's really, really cool. Interesting. So, yeah, I'm just looking at the video while you're describing it here, and it is all the different. They're showing they're showing the different things in the app, and I guess there's a barcode you can scan that you know it, you know it brings yourself you know to those upgrades and within the game. You know, if you play, so it's just it's really interesting. It's one of those, hey, you know, it's not just at the arcade. You can still kind of do stuff outside of the arcade too with it. Yeah, that's right. So you can. After you get your rewards, yeah, you don't have to sit there and build in the arcade, you know, go home, build your weapons, go back and play them next time you get to the arcade. And, you know, you can um, purchase rewards through the app using, you know, stuff that you've earned in game or you can fast track your progress through, you know, just traditional in-app purchases and unlock new levels. You know, we're constantly looking at ways to evolve this game and the potential for the you know what it has and we've just released talk about this carefully here but we're releasing (laughs) this is a sneak peek for the audience here we're actually releasing a new tournament feature and i might get in trouble for talking about this so (laughs) but um so i will i'll probably I'll, i'll probably cut it off cut it short but that's something that people can look forward to in this game is um, tournaments, which are going to just open up a whole new facet of the game, which is going to be really exciting. That's that's awesome. And, I mean, I've, I haven't seen it anywhere around here, at least that I know of, um, but I'll have to keep an eye out for it. Being it's a newer game, chances are some of the arcades around don't have it. Although I can't really just go out there right now and check everything out because as we're recording this, we're kind of in the middle of a crazy time in the world globally, but we'll get on that yeah. in just a second. But 
Yeah. It's well, just, one of the one of the biggest things that, that you guys can all do as players, you know, it does take a while to get games out into the to market as a whole because obviously just just the shipping physical product and the the life cycle of people buying a game to put in their venue it takes time so when we release a new game it's not like oh great just go out and play it you know it's available at your local arcade it does take a while to get games out there and to get a a real force of them but one of the most powerful things that players can do you guys have a lot of power going in and asking for the games that you want. You know, t- talk to the locations that you play at regularly and say, hey, I saw this game. I really, you guys should get it. Like, th- that's the most powerful thing that you guys can do. And, you know, we would love for you to do that because, it, like I said, it takes a long time to get games out into the market. Absolutely. And, I mean, I know that's been, uh, I want to say, harped on in the past not in this podcast, but just in the past of, hey, you know, say something to the arcade owner, to the managers, whatever. And sometimes they're going to say, yeah, whatever. But if they get enough feedback, if there's enough people that say it constantly, hey, where's this game? I saw it at this arcade. Or, hey, where's this game? I, I want to play it. I saw it online. This This person was playing it. If enough people do that at one location, chances are you might get that game at that location. It just depends, you know, on one of those things of making your voice heard. I mean, it's it's you just have to strengthen numbers, we'll say, because it's one of those things that yeah. enough people – you know the, the as, what's the old saying the 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 squeakiest gear gets the grease or squeaky something like that. Squeaky wheel gets the grease. Yep. <laughs> the squeaky wheel gets the grease. That's something right. like it. Yeah, and and so you know if enough people are sitting there saying, "Hey, I want to play this game. I want to, I want to play it here because I want to support this arcade because I love this arcade. I love the owners. I love the place. I love the setting. I love the environment. Whatever. You know, this is my favorite arcade to come to." And, you know, I want to see this game here. If enough people say that, chances are you're probably going to see that game there really soon. <laughs> They'll try to get it in as soon yeah, as Yeah, absolutely. Can. Well, because if you think about it from the business owner's perspective, you know, there's they've got a, a range of games. Let's say, you know, all the new games that they saw at IAPA. And they're going to make a decision, kind of a, an educated guess of a decision as to what they think the players are really going to like. So, okay, I'll get game A and put this out there, and I hope it does really well. But, you know, they have an interest to meet the players' needs and demands and desires. So if players are the ones going in and saying, hey, you guys should get this game, you know, and create those conversations, and you want to create relationships with the arcades that you guys play at regularly, and... You know, that, that happens over time, obviously, but you have a more, probably more power than you think to maybe influence the, the way that some of these decisions are made and, and get the games that you want inside the venues. So I would say never be afraid to say something to anybody. You know, you could really, they're, they're probably looking for your feedback and, and input. Absolutely. And that's one of the things I do want to get on the, uh, somebody I want to get on the podcast is an arcade owner. I want someone who, you know, runs an arcade now to come on and talk to me about, hey, you know, how do you determine what games to buy? How do you determine what your customers want? And I would love to get into that side of it because I've never obviously been on that side of it as a, you know, business person, business individual handling that demand. And 
you know, how do you how do you know, hey, this game is going to work or this game isn't going to work? You don't. You just kind of cross your fingers and go, well, you know, the, the manufacturer's going, it's going to be a great game. I'm crossing my fingers and hoping that it does. And That's right. Like people like me told them it was going to be a great game and make the money. So that's the decision. that That's how they made the decision. Exactly. <laughs> and I mean, I, I get it. You know, you know, for your company and everything, there's the salespeople got to make their pitches, all that crazy stuff. And, you know, everyone is telling the arcade owner, you know, you're going to make more money if you buy our games. And it, it, it's across the board. I mean, every every maker is telling the arcade owners that, like, hey, you know, you're going to make more money if you buy our games. What is it that brings them to you? And that's what I want to find out. But that's for another time, uh, another podcasting. Uh, so one of the things, too, just going on right now is, as we're recording this, we're in the midst of a global pandemic. Uh, most people know, if you don't know, you've been isolated from the world magically somehow and you probably don't even know anything about this you probably will never catch it because you're so isolated but the COVID-19 or as it's known coronavirus you know it's it's affecting a lot of everything about daily life from you know people being able to go out and do stuff to you know arcades movies you know restaurants everything just this whole social distancing thing as it's been termed and how you know how is it affecting the arcade industry how is it affecting arcade game makers you know and i think one of the biggest questions out there right now is what's the business what's the industry gonna be like if we can get back to a normal and how long would it be before really devastatingly affects the arcades i mean I, I know it basically already has because most arcades i know have been shut down for at least three weeks at this point that we're recording this on april 2nd 2020 so mid-march most of them have shut down obviously that's already a detriment because nobody can go to anything i mean big places like dave and busters have unfortunately had to lay off seventeen thousand of their employees and they're only keeping a handful at each location just to make sure the game still work if and when they reopen so it's it's definitely a global issue economy issue for everybody about everything you know how does this affect the arcade industry you know globally what are you seeing Tabor as far as you know not even just for LAI but like the entire arcade industry yeah well there's there's a lot to unpack there um just before I kind of answer that, what is interesting, kind of funny, I heard that there was a German show. I think everybody's familiar with Big Brother, the, the show concept. And I think there was a house, an episode or a series going on there where none of the housemates knew what was going on in the world. You know, they're so isolated. And so that's kind of a crazy scenario talking about somebody being locked away and not knowing what's going on that actually happened. And I don't know the outcome of that. People probably look it up, but uh, it would be a really odd position to be in to have to tell them about it. Because I think in a scenario like that as well, they're probably think that it, it could be a joke or it's part of a challenge or something. It'd be really, really weird. But that did, did happen as a, as a That's crazy. weird side note. Totally. But to talk about the industry, 
the industry has been just terribly affected by this, obviously. Um, you know, we're, we operate in an environment where people socially get, get together, you know, talk about social distancing. You know, we're, our traditional environment is really the opposite of that. You know, we want to get together and hang out in, in groups, hang out close with friends. You know, you're playing with somebody side by side at a game. It's, you know, the opportunity to even remain open is not an option for a lot of locations at the current moment. And it's, it's rippled across the entire industry as a result. So, you know, LAI games has suffered. All the other manufacturers have suffered distributors, you know, people who make parts for games. There's such a, a big ecosystem. This is like a billion. I don't, I don't know the exact figure of how much revenue is turned over across the industry a year, but it's in the billions of dollars. And so it's, it's had this ripple effect that's just really, you know, it's been terrible for everybody involved. And I can't speak too much about the other side of it. You know, it's, it's speculation, but I think that, you know, uh, one thing that I feel very confident in is that, you know, this will pass. I don't know how long it's going to take, but I think it's important to keep some optimism that, you know, we need to be strong. We need to stay connected with each other and um, we will get through this. I, I, you know, unfortunately, I think there will be some businesses who don't make it out of this and that's, that's a reality. But we, we need to all stay connected and stay supportive of each other to try to get to the other side. And, you know, I think I can't wait until the day where, you know, it's time to play games again. And I think that's, that's what I'm looking forward to is whenever it's time to play again. So something that players can do, these are the things that I think about players who, after a while, maybe going stir crazy, you know, you guys are going to want to get out and go play games. Stay connected with the the arcades and FECs that you guys go play at. You know, ping them on social media. Let them know that you're supporting them. You know, because they're going through tough times. They are worried about people coming back and playing at their venue and how they're going to stay connected with you guys. You know, we have such. We live in an age. Fortunately, I was speaking with my wife about this the other day. Imagine if this had happened 100 years ago, and things like this did happen, but there was no technology to facilitate, you know, staying connected with each other. So I think we do live in a a good time to be able to deal with this emotionally and stay connected with the technology that we have available. And I think as players, I would urge you all to take advantage of that and let, let the locations that you guys are fans of, let them know that you're still there and that you support them. And especially coming out the other side of this, you guys are going to be critical to really kickstart the industry and go, you know, hopefully you're, you're itching to go play games. The locations out there, the owners and operators, they, they're going to be desperate for you guys to come back and they're going to be waiting with open arms. So that's, that's kind of the way that I see it unfolding. I just, I hope it happens sooner rather than later, you know. We all hope it's sooner rather than later, but. I mean, yeah. one of the things that I see personally, and, and I mean, I don't want it to be true, but I mean, arcades are one of those things that it's kind of considered a luxury. And when you, you know, a lot of people, unfortunately, are financially struggling right now. You know, even when they do reopen the arcades, you know, we could go back to 
normal, if you will, it's going to be one of those things of, are we going to have the funds to do that? You know, the people that did go all the time, are they going to have the funds to do that? And I mean, it, it's gonna, it, it sounds grim. And I mean, it, it, it it's truth. It's reality. It, you know, it stinks, <laughs> but it's one yeah. of those things that we, we hope that, you know, things get back normal. People can make normal paychecks again. Everyone comes out of this, you know, mostly unscathed. I mean, we're going to, we're going to have some issues, but you know, and, and Tabor's right. We just need to, we need to support places that supported us all these years, you know, helped us, uh, get away from life. If you will, you know, go get away and have a little bit of fun. Just, just drift off into that fantasy world of everything's great here. You know, we're, we're having fun. Yeah. It's a magical you, place, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, before you step back outside and go, well, this is real life again. Um, I mean, sometimes that's why I go to the arcade. I mean, there were many times I went on Friday nights when I was Ubering as a side gig, and I would just go in and say, you know what, I'm done Ubering for tonight. I'm just going to stay here for the next two hours or so and just have fun, just get away from everything that's going on out there and just enjoy in here. And I don't always play to try to win. You know, for arcade games and things like that. I don't always film. Everyone always tells me, you should always film everything you're playing. And it's like, why? I don't need to. Uh, sometimes I just want to play to have fun. Because if I film everything that I ever played, ever, I'm going to lose that I want to have fun mentality. It's always going to feel like work. And I don't want it to feel yeah. like work, ever. I want it to feel fun. I mean, I enjoy doing it while I'm filming, but then again, it's also a job while I'm filming. I have to entertain. Whereas if I'm not filming, I can just have fun. And we're hoping that when this is all, you know, not as big of a deal as it is now, that, you know, we can just go have that fun again, smile, laugh, get back out there, hang out with friends, high five, whatever. You know, I I, I hate staring at these same four walls, you know, 24 hours a day for three weeks now. I mean, I've been outside a handful of times to get my mail and everything. <laughs> I mean, other than that, yeah, people are going to start to go a bit stir crazy, but you know, and I think, you know, to your point uh, about, you know, the arcade being a luxury, I think luckily it is a, a low cost form of entertainment compared to, you know, people are, they're going to want to go seek entertainment outside of the home. And that mm -hmm. could be movie theaters, that could be amusement parks, that could be bowling alleys. You know, there's so much available. And arcades are really very low cost when you think of the, the options out there that you can have for 10 bucks, 20 bucks. You know, you can have hours of fun and it may cost a lot of money to go spend a day at the amusement park in contrast to that. So I, I hope that people can take advantage of, of that, you know, look at it for what it is. And I think there's opportunity, but I also think that owners, they're going to be looking at ways that, you know, and this is going to be good for players. They're going to be looking at ways that they can retool their offering to people to make it more affordable and to create extra incentive. And I, th I think I see a lot of them doing it out there right now already because, you know, with people struggling to generate some income during these times, they're looking at ways that they can start to, to leverage, you know, their audiences and incentivize them. And I'd go look around at, at the arcades in your area online 
and see if they're offering, you know, heavily discounted play packages as incentive. You know, you there are ways to support your local business right now. You know, buy a package from them. It's going to be great value for you because it's probably going to be heavily discounted, but you're going to be helping them stay afloat so that there is an arcade to go back to. Yep. And, you know, I think a lot of operators and, and location owners are going to think that way. So, you know, working together with players too, this is how we start to hopefully come out the other side is that we're supporting each other. Yeah, through through this and after this, you know, that's how hopefully I see it unfolding. Absolutely, and and one of my locals around here, my local family entertainment center, it's called Fun for All. They actually keep doing contests on their social media. So the, the last week they had build your f- favorite uh, outdoor attraction at Fun for All with Legos, and they picked a couple winners and gave them you know passes for when they reopened to go enjoy those outside attractions. And it was interesting. Yeah. Well, that's it. I, I go check out your local FEC's Facebook page or Instagram account or whatever, you know, all of it and see what they're doing. Because I, I think they're doing some really creative things right now. It's a great way to stay engaged with them and possibly, you know, you can support their local business and get yourself a really awesome deal in the process of when, when it's time to play again, you know, you, jump back and uh what might have cost you 50 bucks might cost you 20 bucks yeah i i don't know but go check out what people are doing because i people have to get creative during these times absolutely so but i mean you know we can't you know we couldn't have you know did this podcast and not talked about that just because it is what's going on and we're hoping that the arcade i mean the arcade industry is going to survive this it's just a matter of who's going to survive this. And that's where it kind of comes into the reality that, you know, not everyone is going to come through this depending on how long it lasts. I mean, I wish it was over yesterday. I really do. But the reality of the thing is, you know, we still have some time ahead of us. And at least as of this recording. And we don't know what's going to happen in the future. You know, It's very uncertain times. And you know, it's one of those things. I put out a video on my channel today. Um, I recorded it when I was on lunch break from from work, and I just you know I I let people know that hey you know if you know if you're struggling like I am, not like you know crazy struggling, but like you know maybe you're having some mental issues, maybe you're thinking of hurting yourself or something like that. There's help out there, so just go find it. I know we're all going stir crazy. It sucks having to stay inside, but. You know, the sooner that we all comply and do this, the sooner we can get back to the normal life because we're going to isolate everything and we're going to we're going to squash this pandemic and hopefully knock it out of here before long and we can get back to normal lives. And like I said, it kind of sucks that we have to talk about it, but we couldn't do this without talking about it because it is such a big thing right now that's happening. But enough yeah, about that. Well, let's is, get back to some is, happy yeah. stuff. Let's, let's I agree. Go. Yeah, this is something this is something that's going to be talked about for a hundred years. So I yeah, I agree. We had to discuss it, but it's been discussed. <laughs> Absolutely. So <laughs> right. we're going to move on here, and, and the, the next part here is just all the Q and A. Uh, I got a couple of questions online. I did send it out there a couple times, guys. This podcast recording actually did get delayed a little bit just because of work schedules and things like that. So uh, we're actually doing what like two weeks later than we normally had scheduled, I believe. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, we were supposed to do this two weeks ago. Things happened. The whole craziness of the world, you know, exploded, and 
well, the world didn't explode. We're all still here, but just the craziness of the of what's going on. The world exploded, and so I kind of threw it out there a couple of times. I got a couple of questions. I think some of them have been answered already, just from you know general conversation here during the podcast. But one of them comes from uh, a really awesome YouTuber. His name's Jay Devi on Instagram. Came through yeah, that way, Jay and uh, <clears throat> he yeah. just wants to know. You know, Tabor, what's your favorite game out of LAI's entire portfolio, and why do you enjoy that game? All right. Um, gosh, I'm probably going to have to talk about a couple games because I don't know if I can just pick one single game. But um, <laughs> Don't worry, right I get the now, same thing all the time during my live streams. Yeah. And all that. People are like, what's your favorite arcade game? I'm like, do you not realize how many I enjoy to play? Totally. Well, I guess I, I have to say Virtual Rabbids is unreal, and that's kind of a game in its own category, in my opinion, but that's something that's just absolutely incredible. I, I love every time I, I get on that ride. I have a fantastic experience, and I've ridden it, I can't even remember how many, uh, you know, a hundred times, because uh, I got to I got to be part of the development process of all that and ride it when it was a prototype oh, all the man. way through to the finished product, so it was a really, really cool process. Um, I might share some a couple of behind-the-scenes photos with you later, uh, Joe, and uh, some fun fun stuff to look back on. With you know, now that that game's out in the market, you can probably showcase some of the early stages of it. But I was mentioning Outnumbered earlier. That's probably my favorite game right now. It's I find it highly addictive. Just it's so much fun. Uh, it's a skill again, trying to build games of skill instead of. I guess it's not a traditional rail shooter that's like a spray and play shooter. It's a skill based, you know, target shooting game. So the the aim is really to go for speed and accuracy, but the the concepts of the stages are super cool. We've got one zombie stage, the quarantine zone, it's called. <laughs> We've got deep deep space and high noon. And you can you can assume what those stages are from their titles, but the stages are all themed out really well so that the targets actually look like zombies you know, or space alien bugs. And the splatter effects are cool. And, and again, being able to build your own weapons and play the stage again and uh, the cycle of play on that game is just so much fun. I It's probably my favorite game right now. That's awesome. And then yeah. one of the other questions that Jay Devi has uh, is the Pearl Fishery game, and we kind of touched on it a little bit earlier. Uh, can it be ordered in two units instead of three? Because I guess they come in cabinets of the three side by side by side. Correct. Yeah, right now, we're only selling the three cabinet version. There is talk about um, modifying this so that we could sell probably one unit, and then a location would just put two units together if it was just like a single but right now it's a it's a three unit cabinet and i guess the reason why we found it, it's such a popular game it has just absolutely blown up and it was probably it was our most popular thing at iapa i think plush time wins covered it they've covered it in a bunch of their own videos since then because they are just massive fans of the game but people we've we found that it gets so much traffic that you wouldn't you know one one or two units wouldn't sustain themselves. We're actually having people order multiple units for their locations where they'll have like six player stations then. Holy crap. So the game, the game's that popular, but maybe J W there, there'll be, 
some uh, maybe he's looking to get a unit for his his personal it's <laughs> possible i mean house or something, so, i, I mean yeah. i know some people but that now no. love to have you know individual arcade games in their houses uh, me being one of them <laughs> yeah <laughs> well in our uh, in our singapore studio where which is where our, our r&d department is located we've got we've built the entire studio to look like a barcade very very cool environment we've got games inside the location there we've got right now we've got a let's bounce outnumbered and speed of light i think everybody remembers speed of light that's another really iconic game for us and it's exciting and we kind of got two sections to the studio so in the main room that's all themed out like a, a real barcade where people you know all their workstations are in there as well there's always people playing games you know you take a, a 10 minute break and go unwind, just clear your head or whatever, play play a couple of rounds of Let's Bounce, and then go back to work. It's pretty <laughs> cool. But we've also got another section where we do our R&D, and you know, we're creating new stuff and you know, trying new concepts and stuff like that. So it's a really dynamic environment, but it's so much fun to have games on location. I'd love to have some at my house, for sure. <laughs> well, that is awesome. That's a dream. Someday I'm going to have a man cave with some LAI games in there. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I was showcasing Speed of Light, and I know that uh, Angel from Plush Time Wins is very, very incredibly skilled individual at that game, at least that I've seen in the YouTube videos. Yeah, he's, he's, yeah, he's a gun at that game. I think he's uh, just a, I'll give a shout-out to our R&D, our head of product, uh, Shannon. He's he's super competitive. He doesn't like it when I beat him on games. He never talks about it. <laughs> but he, he's pretty... Like, because he's like, he's been the mind behind a lot of concepts, like Speed of Light was one of them. You know, he's obviously really good at the games, but Angel beat Shannon at Speed of Light. Wow. Uh, at, I think at, at an IAPA. <laughs> he's, Angel's pretty competitive too. It's funny, he, he and I have played some games over the years at, at events and things like that, and he's a super competitive dude. <laughs> <But>. <laughs> That's kind of funny. And I mean, there was this one dude one time, and I wish I would have met him when he was in Pittsburgh. This dude, I guess, tours the country, and he could do speed of light one-handed with one hand behind his back and just 999 Gosh. it like no other. Well, what's funny about that, actually, now that you say that, we never thought that anybody would beat 999. And so the scoreboard actually only goes up to 999. And... It was something that we've we've kind of taken note of that when we build games, we've got to accommodate probably bigger bigger scores than we anticipated, <laughs> and you know not not to put uh, too much hope into people's minds, but there could potentially down the track be a, a speed of light Mark II, and uh, we would increase the <laughs> we would increase the scoreboard count. Sounds like this is <laughs> something we talked about. Sounds like this is some insider information yeah. I'm getting here. I'm not going to lock that down. Yeah, I'm just going to give a little teaser with that. But it's definitely, it's not, I'll say this, it's not in our current pipeline. It's just something that we've we fantasized about is to say, oh, this would be cool if we did that. But it's not in our current pipeline. <laughs> it almost sounds like whenever they came out with uh, Beanbag Toss, they put a five-digit scoreboard up there and people have, you know, five-nined it with, with ease. And now they put out a patch that... They took everything and, and divided it by 10. So they moved everything one decimal point over. So now the five-digit scoreboard is actually, like, legit 
like you know the hundred thousand score but it's only ten thousand score now so they they put out a patch to i mean they fixed the game if you will with with a uh update so it's kind of interesting i don't know if anything could ever be done like that with speed of light the way it's scored because you know when you get those combinations of lights and you start getting those you know the bonus like it was what at five points per light if you're fast enough something like that yeah yeah, and that's it. A, lot, a few of the mechanics of games work that way. Like uh, hyper shoot is the same way that if you get on a streak, you know you get multipliers where the points each basket made is worth you know uh, a multiplied amount. Same with the speed of light buttons and stuff like that. But you know we've got unfortunately, and, fortunately and unfortunately, you know we've got so many exciting products in the pipeline right now that we can't address that and we probably wouldn't address that um <laughs> but we've got some just to give everybody a, a you know a, a tease we've got some unbelievable products in our pipeline that are going to be really really cool once we can you know get back full force to working on them after all this stuff is done that is awesome i was just showing a little bit of a uh, hyper shoot there as uh on the background as you're talking about it some of the promotional video there. It's kind of interesting because that's one of those ones, again, that goes with the progressive scoring, whereas the faster you keep scoring, the higher the baskets are worth. So you can get those higher scores. And that's, the, you know, sometimes I think people enjoy that because it's a little bit more of a reward than just one per or two per, and then you just keep going. It goes up to five and ten, and, you know, some of them go crazy. But you could build those yeah. combinations and, and get those crazy scores, and then you compete with your friends and say, "Ah, oh, you suck because you can't get the you can't get the multiplier up to five or whatever." <laughs> yeah. Well, this that that's a good game to use as an example to get some insight into the way that LAI games operates. I guess is you know when you look at that game, it looks like a basketball game, and we've the way we've kind of talked about it is it's it's like basketball only better because. When you go play a traditional basketball game, you know, some people are great at shooting hoops and it's rewarding. I love basketball myself, but, you know, there's nothing to really level the playing field with somebody who's really good and somebody who's not, not, not a great shooter. So with hypershoot, people probably don't really pay attention to this because it's a real subtlety of the cabinet. But besides the, the awesome hypertunnel, which, you know, kind of tracks the flight of the ball. That's really cool visual stimulation. But the hoop is a little bit oversized than a standard hoop, and it's actually slightly angled down, so you can kind of see into it a little bit. And with that multiplier, I guess that, that accomplishes two things. It makes it a little bit easier to make a basket. And the point isn't that, you know, you're you're a great shooter it's more rewarding when when you can shoot no matter what your skill level is to go up and shoot a basket it feels really good to sink a basket but with that multiplier it can level the playing field because if you can continue to successfully sink fast shots you get that multiplier in effect and you may not be the best player but with that that quick you know fast pace gameplay you could beat somebody who's a, a better shooter in general so these are some of the mechanics that we try to think of in game development to to create a different approach and why our games are unique. You know, it's not just another basketball game; it's a it's a totally different experience. Absolutely, so that's kind of some insight into the way that we think. And yeah. just, just looking at that too, I was looking at some of the uh, and then showing some of the pictures of it too from your your website, and it really is one of those interesting games. Now, I've never been one of those 
you know, basketball shooter type game type guys. I, 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 I don't do that because I do suck at it. You know, I'm one of those ones that <laughs> I am that horrible player. I can't hit that basket for anything, you know. That's why I've never played sports in my life, but <laughs> that's beside the point. <laughs> but, like, that one, you know, like you're saying, the oversized hoop, I didn't notice that till now until I actually looked and, and pointed it out. So maybe next time when I'm at the arcade, I might play that one now that we've talked about it. I, shot. I know these things, so I might <laughs> have right. to might have to give it a try there. Well, the same, same as, like, hyper pitch, too, and this is something, same mechanic where it's speed versus accuracy. And I've seen over and over again people who can't throw the ball as hard, but they're more accurate. They can beat players who have got like this monster pitch, but they don't have accuracy. You know, again, it's about leveling the playing field and making, creating something that's a really rewarding experience for everybody, you know, different age groups, parents, kids, what, whatever it is. And so, yeah, that's just some insight into the way that we think. So maybe hopefully people look at LAI games and they're like, Oh, there's something different about them, you know, cause that's, we're all trying to create our unique angle but we feel pretty good about the, the way that we approach our games. Absolutely. And I'm just watching a little bit of a video on it here too. And like hyperpitch, you know, these guys that wind up and wail the ball are only scoring like, you know, eight points or 10 points or something like that. And then <laughs> uh, you get, you know, this little kid that goes up there and he scores 32 on one shot because it's he hits the bullseye, you know, accuracy. Totally. So that does level the playing field. Absolutely. So, but it, it's really cool to see that. And, again, another game that I don't play because, oh, you know, it's just another hit-the-spot game, and I suck at that. So, But, again, another one I may give a try if I go to the arcade and see it. And Unfortunately, around Pittsburgh, a lot of the arcades don't get the newest games or anything like that. Like, there's nowhere around here to play Pearl Fishery. I would love to play Pearl Fishery, but there's nowhere around here to do it. I would have to drive a few hours away to do it, I think. Yeah. It's just, it's well, crazy. again, going back to what we we're saying is players take the power, you know, ask for the games that you want and locations that you you go and frequent and, um, you know, get some of those games out there for sure. Absolutely. So uh, one of the other questions I got from uh, on Instagram was uh, from Bryant Evan and then the zero underscore zero face. He wanted to know what's LAI's best game. Oh, come on. <laughs> He's going to put you game. on the spot. That's impossible to answer. Totally. Oh, man. That's an impossible question to answer. What's, I will say, let me, let me, let me, wait, be on, let, me, let, me, let me do this real quick. What's LAI's best game and why is it Virtual Rabbits? <laughs> awesome. There you go. <laughs> well, because that, honestly, in, in all, this is a legitimate answer. Virtual Rabbits changed the, the industry. Virtual reality was not commonplace, other than bespoke big setups like uh, Hologate or Omni Arena. You know, these are these big bespoke installations that you have to have somebody attend and help you get in and out of the experience. Um, virtual Rabbids really created an opportunity for unattended virtual reality and, and made it accessible for people. And I think that's that's been a real game changer. So I, I would say you know, it's it's tough to pick what is our best game, obviously. But with that kind of phrasing the question that way, I would say that Virtual Rabbits has really made an impact like like no other. 
Absolutely. And I, I think one of the new ones that may overtake it, to be honest, is Pearl Fishery. Because like you said, arcades are buying it where six people can play. They're buying two sets of those, you know, of the game just so people could play because everybody wants to play it for some reason. It is such an incredible game and I want to play it. Like I want to play it. Yeah. <laughs> it's an incredible game. I, I really love it. What's, uh, let me talk about it for just two seconds here. It's, um, it's got this mode on it and why I think everybody loves it so much called party time. Mm-hmm. And it's like, when you get into party time, it's the game is so awesome. Cause you, you know, you can guide where your, your ball, your pearls drop. And when you collect enough slots on, on your uh, matrix board, you turn party time on. And then it's just like spamming the play field because every single thing that you hit is worth tickets. So once you turn party time on, like the game just comes comes alive. Like it's really thrilling. There's so many different facets of that game, like mini games. There's, there's so many different things going on that it's just it's really an incredible game and i think that's why it's been so popular but check out some of uh angel's videos with from plush time wins uh he's done a number of videos on pearl fisher i know they're massive fans of it oh absolutely and you know one of the things too i think a lot of people forget just from me watching it on on the youtube videos is when you're in party time when you get one of those big pearls over and get it into one of the colors you automatically win the highest ticket value i mean that's how it's set yeah, up. Yeah, so. you win so many tickets on a game. It's crazy. Absolutely. And, I mean, it's crazy, too, because it's, it's one of those, you see people like, well, it's, you know, the big pearl's right on the edge. All I need is one more swipe, and I can get it. And that's how, you know, that's how you game makers get us, man. You get us like, oh, it's right there. we got to play one <laughs> more time. And then we get to the end of that yeah. one more time, and there's another one close. It's like, man, we got to play again. Totally. Well, and that's what I'm personally, I am absolutely mesmerized with coin pushers. I love coin pushers and uh, pearl fishery is, is so cool because it's like a different take on a coin pusher with the pearls. And I think it's a little bit more fluid too with coin pushers are so frustrating when you get like the, the coins stack in just the right way that they hang over the edge, like in an impossible bridge, you know, <laughs> You're like, how is that not falling? Physics. But, you can't, yeah, that's right. Well, you can't stack pearls that way, right? They, there's no way that they could hang over the edge. So once they get that momentum, like it's it's a lot more fluid game, fluid of a game. And you know, yeah, I I can't wait for you to try it. It's it's gonna be big. Well, uh, I would I would love. Game. I wish it was somewhere local here. I really do. And I mean, I wish places were open right now too. But the other <laughs> question that Bryant had was uh, LAI's newest game. Now. I mean, just based off of what I've seen, I believe it's Pearl Fishery was the newest released game, right? Uh, one of. So generally, every year at IAPA, we release one or two games. We've had, and I think most manufacturers are the same, but we had a really, really big year last year, and we released seven games at IAPA. So we just, like, everybody just put their nose to the grindstone and just we did more work than we've ever done. And we released Hyperpitch, uh, Pearl Fishery. Uh, we have a new, the expansion pack for Virtual Rabbids. So a lot of locations are still, I think, unfortunately waiting to get that expansion pack. We would like them to get it now because uh, I think people, people want to have some new experiences and uh, it's great value. But we had that. 
uh, Amazing Alley, which is like, um, you see it on our website. It's a holographic alley bowler. Pretty cool new concept. Toy Frenzy, another new game. And a ticket eater that we actually released uh, called Monster Munch. So it's not so much a game, but locations that operate strictly on tickets. And funny enough, a lot of locations are going back to tickets because of the fanfare of you know winning winning something physical rather than just sticking tickets on your your e tickets on your game card. You know we've seen a lot of locations do that, and so we brought out this ticket eater that is is fun it's got these big monster faces on the, the size of the cabinet that you actually feed your tickets to the monsters and they belch and burp as they eat the tickets <laughs> it's really it's pretty pretty funny that's kind of funny i was looking yeah, at uh, amazing alley that you uh mentioned there and just taking a look at that video there and it's so it's like skee-ball but it has a different element on it because there is that screen in front of the you know, the, the ski ball holes and you get to see like something collecting. It looks like stars to collect for a jackpot. Yeah. So you have to collect each, each hole has a star uh, floating over it through this holographic display. So when you sink the hole, you collect the star and you get a jackpot if you can sink all the holes. And um, so it's a very different kind of another layer of strategy, I guess, to the game and a very cool visual way to represent the, the new format. So yeah, something something pretty new and it's been received really well so far. Um, so yeah, it's it's something something a little different uh, because there is that one game, I think, I forget what it's called, but it's almost like the bowling where you roll the ball and it goes up there and then it's virtual on the screen as to where it goes. And you know, you're kind of incorporating that in a way to ski ball and it kind of makes it a different game. It's really interesting to see that. Yeah. And that was our angle here. It's, I think it's, you know, and this is the R and D teams kind of thinking behind this as well. When I say I, my thinking it's collective, it's a lot more rewarding for a real physical dynamic to, to happen in front of you. So when you throw a ball down an alley and then it disappears behind a screen and you're getting a virtual simulation, just a representation of what's happening, there's something that's not quite as satisfying as the, the real physical mechanics of, you know, rolling a ball down the lane. And in this case, like, like ski ball, it's a, you know, the, the alley bowler format is, is what it, the category it falls in, you know, it's going to bounce around. If it doesn't sink into the hole, it's going to bounce around. And these are real world physics. It's not a simulation, but we've augmented the play with holographic feedback. So when you sink a hole, you get a reward. That's, you know, it's, um, an outcome of your, your play, but it's not a, a virtual simulation of what's happening. And so I think that's why it's a lot more rewarding to play these types of games. And that's, that's the angle, you know, that's the approach that we take with this stuff. And I I do enjoy that that uh, physical and virtual interaction. I think that's kind of where we're headed down the line in a lot of arcade games. Is that you know blending the both together? You know the the real with the the virtual. And I mean, look at it now. I mean, you know, PlayStation Four, a virtual headset that you have with it, where you can sit there and play games. You know with the two controllers and do all kinds of crazy stuff or, you know, I mean, not even just like, you know, virtual rabbits or anything where you're just sitting there, you know, riding and you're experiencing that virtual world, but just more interaction as well with that virtual world. 
I, I mean, I honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if there's a virtual rabbits Mark three or whatever it is <laughs> that, <laughs> that where you, you interact with stuff, you have a controller in your hand and you're doing something with it besides just, you know, experiencing the virtual world. You're actually interacting with it at that point. Yeah. Well, we actually have a game in the expansion pack that is an interactive game. It's the, it is the first, we set a bunch of firsts with that game. It's the first unattended interactive VR experience. Uh, and it's very simple controls that you just use your headset to look at these robo rabbits. It's in a, a stage called space skirmish on the expansion pack. And again, players should go and, and ask locations that have rabbits, but not the expansion packs. Hey, we want the expansion pack here, <laughs> but it's got that <laughs> interactive experience that you just, you can shoot at enemy rabbit ships by, by locking, you know, you've got this beacon that shows up when there are opportunities available to target ships so you just look at them with your headset to, to target and fire so it, it doesn't interrupt a gameplay you know and i think as a kind of a safety mechanism you are so immersed in the experience that you a lot of players they find they want to hold on to the the handle in front of them because you you're moving around and you feel like you're you're really flying or sinking or floating or whatever so by not having controllers or having to use your hands for something, it's a really great way to augment the experience, add some interactivity, but not interrupt the experience. That's crazy. And I'm just watching this video for Space Skirmish on full screen, and you know, it looks like you're in a spaceship and you're flying through, and, oh, look, there's the guns. Now you're doing the trench, and it says shoot enemies. You yeah. know? And I, I'm guessing so when you, when you um, look at those enemies, you're, you're – actually shooting them at that point so that's incredible it has kind of like uh, not like an eye tracker but like a a headset tracker if you will as to where you're looking in the game and that, that that's actually pretty incredible i hope i hope that the arcades get those uh that big expansion pack to add those extra levels because you know if, if people aren't playing these they're missing out oh for sure no it's it's been the most popular stage from any of the locations who have got got the expansion pack, they've reported that it's by far the most popular stage. So it's yeah, really cool. Hope everybody gets an opportunity to try it and go. You just go ask for it. That's how we got to make it happen. <laughs> well, next time I go to Zone Twenty Eight, I'll have to look because they're the only one I know around here that has it, and I'll have to see if they have that expansion pack for sure. Cool. Yeah. I'll report back to me. Let me know. <laughs> we'll do, Tabor. We'll do. Well, anyways, uh, so that's everything we have to do with the podcast. Uh, Tabor, thank you so much for being on here. Uh, it's been a really interesting seeing from the manufacturer's side of it. And like I said, I'm really, I was really excited to do this because, you know, I, I finally get to talk to someone in the industry who's not just another YouTuber on my on the podcast or anything like that. I actually get to expand my horizon a little bit and you know, you're the one that broke the ice. I'm hoping I get to talk to other game makers, maybe get some insight on their stuff as well. Um so maybe breaking the ice like this, you know, you've really helped uh, do this to hopefully get this podcast out there to people and we can do more about this arcade stuff because as far as i know i'm the only arcade podcast that doesn't talk about pinball games exclusively or like any any like that old style arcade like i actually focus on the now stuff the ticket redemption the claw machines the coin pushers all of that stuff and actually in a future episode i'm gonna have my buddy josh bartley who's a huge coin pusher our uh, youtube channel he's going to be on a podcast talking about his experience with everything. And, you know, he, he does exclusive coin pushers. That's all he does on his channel. And 
he's he's just he's racking up the subscribers now because everyone loves his channel he's such a nice guy he's really cool to to uh, check out but like i'm one of those podcasts that like i as far as i know i'm the only one who does this where i talk about this industry in this way everyone else talks about the pinball stuff and the tournaments and things like that whereas i focus more on everything you know the entertainment value of it the youtube the you know the everything just everything and so this is another uh door that i love to have uh had opened for me but Tabor, thank you so much for your time today i know we kind of went a little bit over what we had you know uh discussed i said roughly two hours i know we're a little bit over that but thank you That's so okay. much no, for your time it's, today. it's been my absolute pleasure i love you know i love the industry I love what I do. You know, this is it just it's so much fun and I love talking about it. So it's been my pleasure and I, yeah, I've enjoyed chatting with you as well. No problem, man. Well, guys, if you want to check out LAI Games, just go check out their website, laigames.com. Uh, you can check out all their games that they have there. They have current games. They have legacy games. They talk about things like Stacker and Balloon Buster and some of the ones we haven't even talked about today. Um, they have one that's uh, the prize cube. It's basically an enclosed uh, claw machine that you stand over. You can look from the top. We didn't even talk about that one. But, yeah, if you guys want to see their stuff, it's yeah. leigames.com. Tabor, thank you so much once again. This has been really Absolutely. awesome. Just, yeah, and, and I'll just let me throw in one last pitch here, too. Everybody follow us on social media. We've got uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. We're always trying to put new content out there, and we'd love to hear from people and interact. So make sure you go follow our channels. Absolutely, guys. Go check them out on their social media. Check me out on my social media. You know, they're LAI Games. I'm JJ Jenner One. But, guys, thank you so much for listening to this episode of podcast. If you enjoyed it, please, wherever you're listening to it, give it a thumbs up, give it a five-star, whatever it is, iTunes or SoundCloud, wherever you're listening. Share it with your friends, guys. Share it out there. Let them know what's going on. Say, hey, this dude just interviewed somebody from inside the you know the arcade industry. Listen to some of the some of the inside stuff that they talked about. So definitely get it out there, guys. Definitely give us a good share. Taper, once again, thank you, thank you, thank you. You have no idea what this means, how how incredible this was to be able to do. Uh, guys, my pleasure. Guys, thank you so much. Taper, you're awesome. I don't mean to cut you off. I'm sorry, dude. <laughs> Is there anything else you want to go over or say? No, that's it. No, I just, uh, I, it was my pleasure, and uh, thanks for the opportunity to talk to you, too. All right, man. Well, guys, thank you so much once again for listening to this podcast. Uh, I, you know, check me out on YouTube, JJ General One Arcade. Follow my social medias, JJ General One. If you have ideas for a future podcast episode, please shoot them over to me. You can hit me up on one of the direct messages of those social media. Send me your, your podcast ideas, guys. Uh, things in the future, if you want to sponsor the podcast, please send me an email as well. We can work out a deal for that as well. But Tabor, once again, thank you so much. And to all you guys listening out there, as I always say, catch you guys next time.